Well, praise the Lord. Let us pray before we enter into a time of uh, spending time with the Lord through His Word. Uh, Lord, we praise You for the blood applied. Lord, the Word of the Lord teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there is not forgiveness of sin, but praise be to God. Jesus Christ is that final sacrifice. Lord, we thank You uh, for the finished work of Christ on the cross. Lord, as we enter a time of just uh, opening up your word, uh, Lord, we ask and pray uh, that the Holy Spirit of God would reveal to us uh, not only the truths that are here, but Lord, the same Spirit of God would give us desire and power uh, to faithfully follow uh, what you are going to teach us this morning. Lord, thank you again for your amazing grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to continue our uh, time through this particular chapter. We're going to specifically be looking at verses 113 through 120 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat uh, that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 572, 572. That's where we'll be this morning. I also encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, please take that home with you as a, as a gift from Charleston Baptist Church to you. We have been walking through this amazing chapter. We're in week 15, uh, and we only we roughly have seven weeks after today, so we're getting closer to the end. But it, is a, it certainly is a long chapter. But what I love about uh, this particular chapter is uh, just about every verse, with very few exceptions, uh, there's a reference to uh, the importance of God's Word, and that's really uh, the central uh, purpose of uh, Psalm 119. And I hope you and I, as we have walked through uh, this study together, we are uh, reminding ourselves of the centrality of God's Word in our life. I mean, all of this is to prepare us for uh, the path that God has put us on, and praise be to God uh, for that. And what we have seen each and every week is how God and his wisdom uh, lays out uh, this passage specifically in the original language, the Hebrew language. Uh, the Hebrew alphabet has uh, 22 letters in it, and uh, this particular uh, chapter, 176 verses, is broken into 22 different stanzas. Each stanza represented by one Hebrew letter, and not only that, each verse in that stanza, so eight verses each, uh, is a representation of that first letter, uh, the Hebrew alphabet. And so what we see in this particular uh, stanza is the Hebrew letter Samak, and you'll see that on the right-hand side there, every letter uh, or every verse begins with that same letter, the Samic letter. And if you look at it, uh, think about a column or a, a pillar that is uh, being planted into the dirt. And uh, you lift that pillar up, and what do you see? You see an indention uh, that's similar to that. And, and think about the fact that it is a closed shape. So there is, it's a complete circle, if you will. And it's a representation uh, of the strength, the provision, and the support that is necessary uh, to faithfully walk uh, the path that God puts before us. Uh, and this is extremely good news for us, right? Uh, we need God's strength, we need God's support to walk the path that he's put before us. Remember uh, what the psalmist said last week in verse 105. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Praise God for that. The reality is, though, we live in an ungodly world, right? And here's the, one of the beauties of the gospel. Here's one of the beauties of God's word. Uh, not only does God's word show us, right, show us uh, uh, the, the lamp to our feet and light to our path, but it is the same word of God that, that shows us how to sustain on that path, right? And so that's important for us. Uh, the question is, how can we remain faithful to the path that is set before us? In the midst of living in an ungodly world, and, and let's be honest, uh, the desires of our own sinful flesh, right, 
I mean, let's be honest. It's there. It's not so much always the, the issue with the world that we live in. Sometimes the issues are what's within us, right? And so how do we remain faithful? How do we sustain a path that is not only good for us, best for us, but man, it is for the glory of the Lord, right? And that's where the psalmist leads us today in our passage. And so uh, we'll read the passage uh, in its entirety and then we'll begin to unpack it. Beginning in one, uh, verse 113, the scripture says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put ashamed in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. And it's in this passage that the psalmist unpacks for us uh, several ways that you and I can remain on the path that God has set before us. Uh, the first thing that the psalmist brings out to us is the importance of having the right affection. Uh, the right affection. You, your affections matter, right? And that's what the psalmist teaches us. Look at verse 13, uh, 113 again. He says, I hate the double-minded, uh, but I love your law. The word hate means to be opposed to something, to, uh, to be against something. The verb tense here is communicating that not only have I hated these things or opposed these things in the past, but guess what? I still hate these things. I'm still opposed to these things. And what did he hate? Uh, the psalmist says that he hated the double-minded. Uh, the interesting part about the Hebrew word here for double-minded, it only happens right here in this particular passage, in this particular verse. That's it. Uh, the double-minded represents those who are, to, are divided, uh, uncommitted, right? Half-hearted, if you will. Uh, the reality is the, the one foot in and the one foot out. And here, here's the part that we understand. It's not just the world around us that is double-minded, but we, as followers of Christ, if we aren't careful, if we don't have the right affection, we too will be double-minded. Uh, you see this idea of God's people being double-minded uh, in the book of Joshua and Ezra, uh, Nehemiah, uh, in 1 Kings, as a prime example, in 1 Kings uh, chapter uh, 18, uh, God is uh, preparing uh, the prophet uh, Elijah to defeat the false god of Baal. And, and right before uh, that encounter happens, God in his amazing grace gives an opportunity for the people of God to repent. Why? Because they have been living double-mindedly, right? And this is what happens. The scripture says in verse uh, 21 of uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, it says, the scripture says, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not what? They did not answer him a word. So God is confronting in his grace his rebellious people, his unrepented people. And he's, he's confronting them with their own idolatry. In other words, the reason why you are where you are is because you have been unfaithful to me. And because they have been divided in their mind, they, they find themselves in a place of great weakness and instability. God gives them an opportunity to repent, right? And the scripture says what? That they were silent. They were speechless. And here's what we find in the psalmist's life in Psalm 119. Listen, he understands the path that he's on 
And he's not naive, right? He understands that with just about every step, there is a temptation to do what? To be what? To be double-minded. In other words, there are going to be many things on this path that God has put before us that are going to tempt us, to challenge us for our deepest affection. That's why there's such a tremendous contrast in what the psalmist says. He says what? I hate the double-minded, but, that's a contrasting word, but I love your law. You see, the psalmist is making a continuous choice to set his love and affection on the Lord. And the amazing part about the word love here, it's used multiple times in the Old Testament, but the very first time it's used is found in Genesis 22. It's an amazing chapter. At the end of Genesis 22, we find that uh, God is uh, Jehovah Jireh, right? The one who provides. And remember the context. Uh, Abraham is leading Isaac up uh, to Mount Moriah, and there uh, sacrifice needs to be made. And remember what the scripture says in Genesis 22:2. The scripture says that God told Abraham to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So that word love, your only son Isaac. And remember the context. Abraham was given a tremendous promise in Genesis chapter 12. But the promise depended on a son. And in their old age, Abraham and Sarah's old age, they not only had no son, they had no children. And yet, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, God provided what? A son. And now this son, whom he deeply loves. And so this word love expresses something greatly treasured, right? And what does the psalmist cherish? What does he treasure the most? He treasures the Lord. Now, why is this important? Well, Jesus talks about this in Luke 16, verse 13. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. And in the context here, you cannot serve God and money. And so the context can be many things. It just doesn't have to be money. But the reality is, if you're trying to serve two different masters, right? If you're trying to live a life as a person who is double-minded, guess what? You, you can't do both, right? Jesus says you can't stay on the right path when you're trying to serve two masters. That's what he's trying to say. You have a choice. Will your affections go to the Lord or will your affections go to the world? I remember when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment in Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. The Hebrew word before means besides. So you should have no other gods at all. I'm the only one, right? I am the only true God. This is what? This, Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. Why? Because everything in your life hinges on how you respond to that first commandment, right? When you have settled yourself, your affections on God and God alone, guess what? The other nine commandments fall in line. But the very moment that that first commandment gets out of line, guess what? All those other nine commandments, they're up for grabs. Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength? What you truly love in life proves what you will follow, right? And how you will live. Jesus, when he's spending those last moments with his disciples before he goes to the cross, he talks about the amazing connection between love of God and the obedience that follows. In John 14, one example, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep, you will treasure my commandments, right? 
John 15, 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So there is, again, there is a connection between our love for the Lord and our obedience towards him. First and foremost, it's receiving God's love for us, right? But what drives our obedience for the Lord is what? Our affection for him, right? In other words, I don't obey God to prove my love for him. The very fact that I have loved him and do love him shows that I am going to obey him, right? So there's a difference. Love is the first part. Think about this for a minute. Uh, the challenge is we, our hearts are divided. Our minds are divided. Our hearts are cluttered with many different affections. Who believes that today? I mean, uh, we can't with sincere, with sincere uh, genuineness uh, get to a place where we say, oh yeah, my, I'm not divided in any way. I mean, think about the things that pull at us. Think about our families. Think about... Uh, our work, think about uh, the things that we enjoy doing in life. Think, and all those things can be very, very good, right? But when they become an idol, that's the issue that we have. We have idols of the heart. And the moment that an idol becomes in play in your life, guess what? Your affections are divided. So the question is, what is the remedy of that? Again, continually be honest with what's before you, right? Again, God in his grace gave the people of God an opportunity to repent but they were speechless. Listen, when God gives you an opportunity to confess and repent, guess what? Don't be speechless. Be honest. Uh, James 4 verses 8 through 9 teaches us this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's talking to the church, by the way. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, worship the Lord. Grieve over your sin. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's talking about repentance, right? So as a follower of Christ today, how are you living double-minded today? I mean, be honest with the Lord. Confess it, repent it. Have a renewed trust in the gospel. Let the heart cry of his people be, Lord, fix my heart more and more and more on the glory of the Lord. So there's a right affection Second way that the psalmist teaches us that we can continue to follow on the right path uh, before us is uh, the importance of having the right assurance, the right assurance. So not just right affection, but right assurance. He says in verse uh, 114, he says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And so this verse speaks of security and protection. Uh, He talks about uh, the Lord being his hiding place. Uh, In other words, the psalmist is saying, Lord, I I love the path that you've put before me. I love it. But guess what? It's not, it's not easy. In fact, the more I journey down that path, the more vulnerable I feel. There are times of great loneliness. There's the times of great weakness. There's, there's, a, there's times of great frailty. There are times where I, I just need to catch my breath. And the scripture says that, that the Lord is our hiding place. And the reality is on this path that God has set before us and and all the things that are there in our weakness, in our vulnerability, in our loneliness, guess what? We are going to be tempted to hide in things that aren't of the Lord. We will hide behind drugs and alcohol. We will hide behind immoral relationships. We will hide behind food and work. We will hide behind poor stewardship. All those things, thinking that that is what's going to keep us safe and secure. You know, the hiding place is a place of secrecy, right? And you want to understand what either 
makes your relationships grow stronger or have the potential for destroy them, you need to define what your secret place is. You need to define where you're going in the midst of that struggle. The psalmist knows that the Lord is his true hiding place. In fact, uh, the psalm, psalm 91 says this, he who dwells, I love it, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide, that's a word of fellowship, in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And, and so this is, a, this is a, the psalmist putting, him in, putting himself in a place of great security, right? He's talking about the Lord being his hiding place. And I love the fact that the psalmist says, abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. In other words, the psalmist desires to be as close as he possibly can to the Lord. So he is our hiding place, but he's also our shield. Not only does the Lord uh, give us great security, but he also gives us protection. Not to hide, but protection to move forward, right? So it's not just a hiding place, it's the protection in order to move forward. Protect me from the attacks, and also protect me in the attacks, right? The reality is we are going to be attacked. Speaking of the shield, David says in Psalm 3.3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. In other words, in the midst of the attacks of life, doesn't it feel good when the Lord lifts our head? I don't have to live my life with my head down, right? But I can, I can as a follower of Christ, knowing that he is my protector, in the midst of the battle, the Lord gives me the strength to lift my head. The context here in Psalm 3.3 is David's literally running for his life. He's fleeing for his life. The enemy is attacking with darts and arrows, swords and spears. And who is his protector? The Lord is his protector. The psalmist says, when life is hard, I turn to the Lord. So when life is hard for you, where are you turning today? Where do you put your hope and your trust? And when the Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual warfare that we're going to face in this life, he talks about uh, this amazing shield. And uh, Ephesians 6, 16, he says, In all circumstances, so every circumstance, take up the what? The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So the shield of faith reminds us that we are not trusting in our own resources, right? We are trusting in the resources of God. And not just the resources of God, but the very character of God. That we are trusting the Lord to protect us and to give us security. Why? Because we know that we're going to be tempted. We know that our enemy is going to relentlessly attack us, right? He's going to tempt us towards immorality and hatred and unrighteous anger, doubt, fear, pride, covetousness, self-reliance. He's going to tempt us to lose sight of our true identity in the Lord and wrap it up into something that is not going to last. And every time we choose to succumb to that temptation, whatever it is, guess what? We are forfeiting the amazing blessing of the assurance that the Lord gives us. Psalm 20 verse 7 says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is part of a prayer before uh, the, the, David's army would go into battle, right? So you just think about that context. Before we even enter into the battle, and you got to believe that there's chariots all around him, right? But what does he say? He says, we trust 
we trust ultimately in the Lord. So where are you seeking assurance today? Your job, your income, your group of friends that you hang with, uh, how you look, that relationship that you desire to be in, where's your assurance today? Put your ultimate trust in the Lord. Uh, the third way that the psalmist teaches us to remain on the, the path that God has before us is the importance of having the right devotion, the right devotion. So we have right affection, right assurance, and then right devotion. Verse 115, he says, Depart from me, you evil doers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. So the psalmist here is expressing that single-mindedness, that devotion uh, towards the Lord. The, the phrase there, depart from me, is a command that means to, to get away, right? Stay away. And one of the amazing uh, illustrations of this is in, actually in the New Testament. Uh, remember how Jesus rebuked Peter, right? What did he say in Matthew 16, 23? It says, but he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the context here is amazing because just a few verses earlier, Peter, with great passion, has an amazing declaration about who Jesus is. Remember, everybody's talking about who's this one Jesus. And what does Peter say? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then a few verses later, Jesus is having to rebuke him. Why? Because Peter is not only not helping Jesus get to the cross, but Peter is hindering Jesus from getting to the cross. And Peter didn't fully understand what was happening, right? And so from a human perspective, I got to get in the way, right? And Jesus is teaching us that, that he did not want to be influenced by those things that were going to take him away from the Father's will, right? He's devoted to the Father's will. And if Jesus had to confront one of his followers, one that he deeply loved, how much greater do you and I need to confront the things of this world? right? The influences of this world are amazing. That's why we need to say, depart from me. Get out of my way. Stop trying to influence me away from the things of the Lord. You know, I believe one of the reasons why Jesus spent so much time with his father in prayer, remember he, he left the great crowds. Why? I think he realized that the people around him, the things around him were trying to influence him away from God's will for his life, the Father's will for his life. And so he spends time with the Lord showing tremendous uh, devotion to the Lord. And here the psalmist recognizes that the space between you and the influence of this world matters, right? Sometimes we, we have the question come up, well, how close can I get without going over, right? That's the wrong question, right? The scripture teaches us there has to be a space, a great space between your walk with the Lord and the influences that you find in this world. The scripture says that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And we get that backwards, right? That's what the psalmist is teaching us. Daily, learn to position yourself for holiness. You have a responsibility in that. And that's what the psalmist is explaining. Hate sin, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of your drifting, and know the influences that you're inviting into your life, right? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water the fields uh, that yields its fruits 
or fruit in, uh, in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does prospers. prospers. So in other words, pursue holiness, pursue fellowship with the Lord, time with the Lord, devote yourself to the things of God, and there you will find stability, you will find purpose, you will find blessing. So think about this for just, uh, just an exercise for you. Sometime today, before you delete everything, look at your text messages for the past week. Where's your true devotion? Where's your true devotion, right? Is it possible that you are being more influenced by the world than of the Lord and you don't even recognize it? Just don't, it's easy to look at everybody else, right? But really define where your influences are uh, today. Uh, Fourth, the psalmist teaches us how to stay on that path that God has before us and with the importance of right dependency, right dependency. Verse 116 and 117 is a prayer of humility that the psalmist expresses based on the dependency that he has on the Lord. Uh, So it's not just about evil departing from me, but it's Lord, help me. I can't do it on my own, right? So that's important. What does he say in verse uh, 116? He says, uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put uh, to shame in my hope. The word uphold means to, to, to give me something to hold on to, right? Give me something to hold on to. Give me something that I can put under my feet that will continue to be my foundation. And what is his foundation? What is he holding on to? He wants to hold on to the word of the Lord. Lord, in my struggle, I need you to uphold me. You are my only hope. And the, the word hope here is only used one other time in the Old Testament. It's found in Psalm 145, uh, I'm sorry, 146 verse 5. And it's a word that not only describes the desperation that he's in, but the expectancy that he has. In other words, the psalmist is saying, Lord, I have no hope but you. But I expect that you're not going to disappoint, right? I know that you're going to come through. Because I am weak, I pray to you. Because I am weak, I surrender to you. Because I am weak, I depend on you. And I trust you will deliver. So this idea of being upheld. And then he says in verse uh, 117, the other part of his prayer, he says, hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statues continually. Uh, the phrase hold me up is, is a picture of a wounded soldier, right? A soldier who is in battle and he's wounded. And what, what does another soldier do? The soldier picks him up, puts him on his own self, and he carries him forward, right? And so that's the picture here. The picture here is that, yes, we're going to be wounded in life, but we need someone to carry us forward. And that's what the Lord does. Lord, on this path, I have been wounded greatly, and I depend on you to give me the strength and the healing necessary in order to move forward. Lord, I desire to faithfully follow you. I desire to regard or honor your statutes continually, but I can't do it on my own, right? You see, some of us have been wounded in this war, but we have failed to trust that the Lord will carry us forward. We're still thinking about why we're wounded and how we got wounded. Instead of taking those things to the Lord and say, Lord, heal me so that I can move forward. And so the, the psalmist is talking about this amazing dependency on the Lord. And here's the beauty. You know, the Christian life isn't so much about uh, my or our commitment level to the Lord. The Christian life says far more about God's commitment level to us, right? And so he's committed to going into the battle uh, with us. And because of the finished work of Christ, we can go to him time and time again. In our weakness, we can go to him. Uh, we've read this passage before many times, but I pray that this is something that you look at every day. Hebrews four fifteen through 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
But one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So this idea of sympathizing is the fact that Jesus has entered into our suffering, right? He understands what it's like, but he's done it without any sin at all, right? Verse 16, let us then with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That phrase draw near is in the present tense, meaning keep on doing it. Keep drawing near to the Lord. Keep uh, seeking him to uphold you and to hold you up. Why? Because his grace is sufficient, right? The very fact that God is able should just give us joy in our heart. The fact that he is the one, he's the constant that we need in our life. Towards the end of the New Testament, the book of Jude, in Jude verses 24 and 25, the scripture says, now to him who is able, praise be to God for that, to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. In other words, no matter the danger, no matter the distress, no matter the discouragement, no matter the temptation, no matter the toil, the obstacle, the struggle, none of it's too hard for the Lord, right? He will keep you from stumbling, right? Verse 25, this is the praise. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty. That talks about his greatness, dominion. That talks about his power and his authority. That talks about his rule before all times, now and forever. Amen. Praise God that he's able, right? So the psalmist is expressing tremendous dependency today. When you think about your life, what are you truly dependent on? I mean, in honesty. Where's the Lord asking you to take that next step in your dependency towards him? One step at a time. The psalmist also talks about in order to stay on the path that God has before us, it's the importance of right perspective, right uh, perspective. You know, one of the ways that we can get discouraged on this walk, right, this path that God has put before us is we're not seeing things to the end, right? Uh, Typically, we, we tend to focus on the here and now and we fail to see the things to the end. There are times in life, specifically uh, times of uh, difficult seasons in life, uh, where we look at uh, the people of the world, right? What they have or seem to have. And sometimes we, we feel that, man, we, we got the short end of the stick, right? Let's be honest. Uh, sometimes we feel like, man, I, I'm missing out because I'm following the Lord. Man, nothing could be further from the truth, right? And that's what the psalmist teaches us here. In verse 118, he says, you spurn all who go astray from your statutes for their cunning is in vain. That word spurn talks about uh, how the Lord rejects them in the end. Their end destination is the judgment of God, right? So there's a rejection there. And the scary thing is they're, they're deceiving themselves, right? Those who are trying to deceive us are in fact deceiving themselves, right? It says their cunning is in vain, When you choose to live in rebellion against the Lord, you will be, in the end, greatly disappointed, right? That's what the scripture is reminding us. That's the perspective we need to have, that those who choose to rebel against the Lord in their end will be greatly disappointed. Brother and sister in Christ, following the Lord is never, ever foolish, ever. And that's the perspective we need to have. Psalm uh, 119, verse 119 says this, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimony. So this idea of dross would be the precious metal that gets heated up and the impurities come to the top and, and the, it gets skimmed off and gets thrown out. In other words, uh, those who choose to live a life of rebellion against the Lord, they'll be, they'll be led away, right? God will judge them and he will judge rightly. And so, Uh, Having the right perspective in life, as Bo Sire said in the video, teaches us to do what? To live with great contentment, right? 
when our perspective is wrong, we open ourselves up for discontentment. But when our perspective is right, we are trusting that the Lord is fully in control. And here is the gospel implication for us. We should never, ever, ever envy the lives of unbelievers, ever. And yet, we're faced with that all the time. We should treasure the one who has saved us. That's the perspective that we need. Uh, David writes in Psalm 37, verses seven through nine, he says this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. And that word fret there, don't, don't get heated up, right? Don't get hot under the collar. Don't do it. Refrain from anger. Don't let the, your unrighteous anger get the best of you. And forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. See what he's saying? When, when you have the wrong perspective and you begin to look at the people in the world, the people that seem to have everything all together, you get f- all fret and angered, upset about all those things. It actually destroys you. So the psalmist says, don't. So where do you harbor discontentment today? I encourage you, rediscover the right perspective that the Lord gives us. God is in control. He will judge rightly to those who choose to live in rebellion against him. You see, living in deception always leads to disaster. In fact, uh, one of, we see a passage in Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, it's right before God's people go uh, into the promised land. And in the Old Testament, the covenant uh, was uh, based on blessing and cursings, right? Depending on uh, how you obeyed and all those things. We're, we, we do have a new covenant of grace. Praise God for that. But there's something that we can learn here, right? And so right before they go into the promised land, uh, God reminds them of uh, that perspective, right? Right? Uh, these people that are deceiving themselves. And this is what he says. Listen to the language. It's very, very strong. So he's renewing the covenant with them, but he says this in the midst of it. Deuteronomy 28, verses 18 through 20. He says, Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you root-bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be saved, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. In other words, I am at peace with God in my rebellion. Deception. You see it? What does he say? This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Man, that's some strong language. God is loving and God is just, right? So for us, on this path with right perspective, though it seems like those who have no care for the Lord at all, at times seem to have the greatest blessing, the greatest things going for them, and you're tempted to take a step away, have the right perspective. God knows all, God sees all, and God will judge justly. To those who are already followers of Christ, stay faithful. Stay on the course. See it to the end.
to those who have never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Man, receive them today. When Paul is writing to uh, the church in Corinth, he, he's reminding uh, the, the teachers there, the pastors there, the, the believers there, again, they're contending with false teaching. And, and he reminds them of this amazing truth. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, he says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Bef- Behold, now is the day of salvation. So to the believer, he is saying, God has been faithful. He can be trusted, right? And to the unbeliever, he's saying, If you have not received him, today is the day of salvation, Right? So stop tearing, stop tearing. So have the right perspective. Have the right perspective. Then lastly, the psalmist teaches us uh, how to stay on that, that path that God has set before us with the importance of right reverence, right reverence. So we have right affection, right assurance, right devotion, right dependency, now uh, right perspective, and then right reverence. Listen to what he says in verse 120. He says, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Uh, that phrase, my flesh trembles, is kind of the picture of getting goosebumps. You ever got goosebumps before? Something just, whoosh, hair stands up. That same word is used in the book of Job where it talks about the hair on their head uh, stood up. And so what is the psalmist uh, teaching here? The picture here is that the psalmist is humbled by his own guilt. Now think about it for just a minute. He knows he's not perfect, right? Do you believe you're not perfect today? So he's humbled by his own guilt. And the only reason why he will stand and remain to the end is because of the amazing grace of the Lord. And it's in that moment that he is in awe of the Lord. If it were not for the grace of God, I would have no hope. And he says, Lord, in your judgment, purify me. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, it's important to understand what Peter means by judgment here. Peter, when he's talking to the church, he's not talking about condemnation. He's talking about purification. And so in this life, we are going to have a lot of struggle. We're going to have suffering. We're going to experience all kinds of different things. But God in his grace, God in his sovereignty, God in his power, he's using all of those things to drive us to deeper dependency on him and to purify us, right? And so though our suffering seems great on this side of heaven, how much worse is it going to be for those who have rejected the Lord, right? That's what he's trying to say here. So think about your story today. Think about your suffering today. Do you see how God might be using those things to drive you into greater dependency on him and to purify those places in your life that need to be purified? And the psalmist says, as, as your humbled servant, Lord, I, I recognize my guilt. I recognize my shame. I recognize my own sin. I recognize your grace and your mercy. And I am in awe that I have been spared from the judgment that will be given to those who do not know you. And because that is true, Lord, I desire, I desire with everything in me, with your power and strength to live in a way that honors you. And here's the reality for us today as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have an amazing gift in the grace of the Lord. A treasure so deep that it can never be taken. But it is a treasure that needs to be worked out, right? And that's what 
Paul begins to say in Philippians 2, and we'll close with this. So how is it that you and I can live with right reverence towards the Lord? How can we live in awe of what the Lord has done in us and through us? Philippians 2 is a great passage. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, what a word. That's reverence. Paul says, you you have a responsibility, child of God, to work out what God has already worked in. You do it with fear and trembling. You do it in tremendous awe of the Lord, desiring in no way, in any way, dishonoring the great work of the gospel that is already done in you and the great work of the gospel that is going through you. And how do you do it? You do it by grace through faith. How so? Because it is God who works in you both to will, that's your desire, and to work, that is power. So God in his grace gives us both the desire and the power to faithfully follow him. And what's our response to that? Reverent faith. Lord, I trust you, I love you, and I desire to honor you. Think about your affection today, your assurance today, your devotion today, your dependency today, your perspective today, and your reverence today. Is it right? Is it not just better than the person next to you, but is it right? Because when it is right, and all these have to work together, right? One gets jaded, the path gets a little shaky, right? But when there is, there is a rightness to your walk with the Lord, the path goes straighter and straighter and straighter. And so I want to give us time to respond to the Lord.